0: Hi everybody and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast, conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. My name is Imi and I am your host. Today I'm going to be taking you to Lima where I meet conservationist, lobbyist, filmmaker and environmental lawyer Bruno Monteferi. Bruno is former semi-professional tennis player, gone green, and one amazing human who is leading Peru into becoming one of the spearhead nations for nature conservation. Among other titles, he created Conservamos por Naturaleza, an NGO facilitating the organisation of events, cleanups, and initiatives for the conservation of nature in Peru. In our conversation, we get to know Bruno a bit better as he introduces us to some of the projects he's leading at the moment in fact there are so many that it's quite hard to keep up as he's involved in protecting the waves the rivers and the rainforests of peru he pays visits to the ministry in lima and lobbies at the government on a regular basis but in the right way if you see what i mean bruno's latest creation Alamar, mar is a documentary sponsored by patagonia and save the waves retracing the story of la ley de rompientes the Law of the Brakes. La Ley de Rompientes is a groundbreaking Peruvian law that has been protecting surf breaks since the 90s. It's thanks to this law that Chicama has been preserved from development programs and man-made ocean infrastructure such as piers and oil rigs. What was really interesting was that in the early 2000s, a bunch of surfers dared to grasp the nettle and to defend their local brakes. With a lot of dedication, political and technical work, these surfers managed to create the legal basis to protect 33 surf spots from destruction. Alamar, the film, has been screened at the Adventure Film Festival, Fix Surf and the TNF Mountain Film Festival, but it was made to be shared, so Bruno is offering to send it to whoever wants a copy. Hopefully, by sharing it overseas, it will inspire surfers from around the world to start influencing our leaders to change policies and to protect more surf breaks. So don't hesitate to contact Bruno to get hold of a copy. Just in case, I wanted to remind you that all the information from this episode and Bruno's details can be found in the show notes. On a more surfy perspective, Bruno also gives us a guided tour of the best surf spots to visit if you are in Lima and shares his tips on preparing to ride Pico Alto, the Peruvian Mavericks. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Bruno Monteferri. Hello Bruno and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you?
1: I'm very good right now, sitting close to the sea in Lima.
0: Oh, fantastic. Do you think you could introduce yourself briefly to the listeners?
1: Of course, I well, I'm an environmental lawyer. I was born in Peru. Mm-hmm. And for the past 15 years, I have been traveling mainly across Peru, uh, following the path of people that are dedicated to conservation to help them in their endeavors.
0: Wow, so, wow. So that's that sounds pretty kind of hands on. But before we start, um, what kind of a family did you grow up in? Did you did your parents introduce you to being a conservationist?
1: No, actually, I was I was born in in one of the in the largest city of Peru, mm-hmm. which is Lima. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's actually a chaotic city, but we always went to a sea. Okay. Like the my family is devoted to sports. Uh, we had a family business, uh, a restaurant called The Cat. It, <laughs> you have to actually picture this. This was a, a restaurant in one of the areas of, of Lima. And in, there was a huge sculpture of a cat. Of I'm talking about uh, five meters wow. cats that you would see from a hill. And it became a, quite an iconic uh, a place for the city. Um, so we, we were always working together. And and during the weekend, especially, we would always go to a to a club that is close to a beach called Villa, mm-hmm. which has this massive uh, beach break that you could hardly surf in a surf in a surfboard, but it was great for body body surfing, bodyboarding, and eventually I had to learn how to surf there also.
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! So, what inspired you to um, start defending the environment?
1: Um. During my childhood and and even as a teenager, I was actually playing a lot of tennis. So I always loved the sea. Uh, I tried to bodysurf and bodyboard as much as I could. Uh, But tennis was what I was devoted until I was 16 years old. Um, I was playing in the national tournaments uh, at the South American Championships. Uh, Some of the people I played went into a professional a tour and were really good, like David Nalbandian from Argentina, who was a top ten. Um, but then at some point, when I had to decide whether I have to, I could go to university in the States or stay in 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 Peru, I started traveling at, uh, to the mountains with my friends. Uh, we started going camping and just enjoying what Lima and the outskirts of Lima had to offer. And the amazing thing of Lima is that it's an amazing headquarter to explore Peru. In two hours you're already in the mountains. In four hours or five hours you're already in the in the higher part of the Amazon. And in eight hours driving you are in Pantermosa or this area in the in the jungle, the central jungle, that it's full of forest. So in one day you could be surfing in the morning. And in the afternoon, you can enjoy the sunset. You can go to bed before uh, night, like within um, amongst like birds and and, and very pristine forests. So, wow. and after going with my friends to all these places, and I realized that I didn't want to leave Peru yet. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I decided that instead of getting a scholarship to go to the U.S. where I had some offers, I was going to stay in, 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 in Peru mm-hmm. and, and travel. I started surfing, and that uh, changed my, my life for com- completely in a surfboard, right? Before I had been body, bodyboarding and body surfing, but I started surfing as since I was 17, I think at the same as you, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> almost every day of my life since then, and, or at least uh, a couple of days per week. Um, and started exploring the country um, and because when I was traveling across the country a lot, lot of the local people told me that they were facing some problems in terms of like how to develop their 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 place in a sustainable way or that they were facing threats I started looking at law and environmental law as a way to help them That's fantastic. Um, and also in conservation
0: um, how long does that take to study
1: it was six years and a half wow. to get the, the, the law degree and the specialization. Mm-hmm. And then I also did some studies on integrated coastal management to see how from that, in that moment, we, I was already interest, interested in seeing how we could help to protect surf breaks from coastal development. Mm-hmm. And then I jumped into a master's in, in conservation leadership.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. And is that what took you to Cambridge University at some point?
1: Yeah, like um, I started working in, in, a, in one of the most influential uh, non-governmental organizations of Peru, which is called the Peruvian Society for Environmental Law. That was when I was 23 years old, mm-hmm. and most of my work was based in the Amazon. So at some point I had to move to, to Iquitos which is a beautiful city in, nor- in the northeastern Amazon. Um, I decided to buy a, a plot there and, and do some reforestation and have a hut there where people can go and, ex- and, and explore the Amazon without making it a, a touristic, uh, no journey, but just a place to land and from there go explore. So I still have the place today and, and people still go there. Um, but after five years of working on, on mainly on the Amazon and also doing some work on, on marine issues, I felt like from, as an environmental lawyer, you become like a firefighter, yeah. where you're always having to react to problems in different parts of the Peru, uh, protected areas that wanted to be digazetted uh, or cut uh, species that were under threat of a specific project. And, and I felt like I, I wanted to have a little bit more of perspective in terms of what to do with my next 45 years. Mm-hmm. Because for me, it was clear that I was going to have like 50 years of productive uh, time in my life to be to, to able to do a change. And in the, those first five years, I was learning a lot. I was doing many projects, but I didn't felt I had like, OK, this is what I would like to have as a legacy. so that's when I decided to go to Cambridge to be able to, like, get more perspective, uh, read, look at different projects and and then decide what to do next.
0: Fantastic. That's amazing. So what are you working on right now? Have you got several projects ongoing?
1: Yeah, so when I came back from from the Masters in Cambridge, um, I came back to Peru. And initially I was really excited to try to build a transition movement in Peru. I don't know how how familiar you are with the Transition Network. Basically, it emerged as a movement where people in, it, it started in Totnes in the UK. Uh,
0: that reminds me, yes, what happened in Totnes, where they created their own, um, their own currency and um, looking after planting food that you can eat in, in public spaces yeah. and things like that. Yes, absolutely.
1: So. So it was basically not trying to change the system uh, from outside or like I'm, maybe like in the 70s where people decided to move from the cities to to maybe like create their own system in a town and and in the whole context of the hippie movement and, mm-hmm. and, and trying to be against war. But it was like how to engage with your local neighbors and actually talk to them in this world where right now we're constantly on the phones and mm-hmm. all the time. Rush to go from one place to another, and and the idea was how to uh, try to create that community and 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 use not energy based on oil. So the main idea was how do we stop depending on oil and start to create other kind of economies, uh, uh, alternative energy systems, and and the beautiful thing of that project was that. None of them were had to be specialists. Mm. It was just like people that had the idea of like and and the perspective that th- things had to change, and from that interaction they could create something better. So it was based on the collaborative economy, and 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 yeah, I was looking at that in Totnes, but there were already some projects like the people supermarket where people would give some portion of their time. To decide what kind of products were going to be there. Um, so they could also like have more power in terms of what they consume. And um, also like people creating cooperatives to, to create their own solar energy systems. Yeah. Um, and, and I came back to Peru and I said, like, okay, this is what I would like to do. Um, but when I came back to Peru, I decided to mix that, that idea that I had to like, because for me it was clear after being in Cambridge that. The conservation movement for a long time was focused on saving specific species, specific ecosystems. Um, But with seven billion people in the planet, the only way to actually like move towards uh, if you actually want to work in conservation in a more holistic way and Mm -hmm. and be successful, we have to change the way that people are producing and consuming in the cities because the pressures of the cities will get Everywhere, yeah. even in the most remote area of the Amazon, if people continue buying gold without knowing from where the gold is coming or different types of metals, they would they would reach to places where that uh, precious resource exists. So, so with that idea, we started this new project, which is "conservamos por naturaleza." Uh, in English, it would be like uh, "we conserve for nature," or "it's it's in our nature to conserve," and. And it was based in the concept of biophilia. I don't know if you're familiar with the biophilia concept from E.O. Wilson.
0: Uh, maybe you could explain this to the listeners.
1: Sure. So I read this book from E.O. Wilson that I will recommend to everyone called The Diversity of Life. And, and the concept of biophilia is basically says that we are all intrinsically connected with nature. And we have this need to connect with nature. Mm. And, but we have in the, in the last decades, we've kind of lost that that connection and what he proposes is how to bring that back right. because E.O. Wilson says that the main challenge for the 21st century is to reconcile the way that people and nature are being are being interacting and, and are related no so it's not like half go beyond that anthropocentric view to a more ecocentric view mm-hmm. and where we are all part of a of a same system yeah. um, so the idea with that was with Conservamos por Naturaleza was creating a platform where any person in Peru could become involved in conservation actions I saw that in the
0: and so they don't they don't need to join anything in particular or it's just they can they can go for it and they have the resources to um, actually make that happen
1: yeah so we we saw that we could become that platform where we made it very easy for people to get involved. Mm. Because people want to get involved sometimes as a volunteer that goes to one event. Some people want to dedicate their whole life to a conservation and move to a remote area of Peru. But the idea was how to design uh, different campaigns where people could get involved to the level to which they wanted to get involved. And not only have the possibility for them to donate funds, as many organizations do, but using the talent of people under time to help to a specific cause. Um, and with that model, we started creating cam- campaigns. Uh, one of the first campaigns that we created was a beach cleanup campaign that uh, takes place every year in the summer in Peru, mm-hmm. but it's it's carried up simultaneously across the whole coast. That's amazing. We didn't have any money. We, we had no money, but only like the, the, the idea that has, something had to be done. And the main idea of that um, of that campaign which is called uh, asla Puerto playa
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the idea was to involve leaders at different places of the Peruvian coast where they will get involve some friends at the, or, um, their community and in these six years we were able to to involve more than fourteen thousand people wow. um, it's the difference with this campaign to our campaigns is mainly a citizen led campaign mm-hmm. it's not that it's it's there's no brand that decided to create it, but it's made from the people for the people yeah, and now we have different partnerships, and that helped us to create a critical mass to lobby for laws to ban single use plastics in peru and last year we were able to 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 get that passed so That's amazing. That was, um,
0: oh congratulations so so what single use plastics do you is it sort of straws and plastic cups and things like that, or plastic bags yeah
1: and plastic bags, uh, plastic bags, straws, uh, styrofoam. Um, so that law is now in place, and now we have to work more in microplastics and and and, and in the implementation of the of the law. No, yeah. this was done. The beautiful thing is that it was a collective effort. Many people were involved, but we showed we they, and that and that the system worked. That we could just trust people and give a cause and then people actually jump to the to the challenge.
0: So, so how did you how did you do that? I mean, how did you actually get to those people for them to join in um, with the whole project?
1: At that, I, I think at that time also, like social networks were starting to, to be used for for democratizing access to conservation mm-hmm. and and they still didn't have so many rules on how the graphics had to be yeah. that you had basically right now you have to pay to get some views. Um, so at that time, it was more something that grew organically. Uh, so we just like asked people to join via Facebook and, and and our newsletter and people start like, uh, yeah, saying that they wanted to get involved and, really? and it just rolled like, a yeah, it was, it was great.
0: So now you've got uh, 14,000 people behind you that, are, that could sort of start... Another events at any time then
1: yeah and that's what happened actually some of the people that were involved in the first campaigns saw that they were from the Amazon and that March which is in the summertime in Peru was not the best time for them to do their campaigns in the Amazon so they created do it for your river Brilliant. and do it for your river is carried up in September October um, and from that people started thinking that that model could be used for our campaigns so for instance. Last year, some friends that wanted to protect uh, a specific hill in Peru, in Lima, it's, a, it's one of, it's a little mountain, mm-hmm. uh, and for the UK, it would be a mountain, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, they're doing a mountain bike there. And it has, it's also a, a place where the war with Chile was, was taken, did take place in that area. It's called the Morro Solar. Mm. So they've created a campaign called "Everyone for for the Morro." You no, know? so they have also memberships, and people can. The idea is that people get involved in taking care of the public spaces. Yeah. You no. Know? And, and, That's
0: fantastic. That is really yeah. amazing. So, so do, do you have to raise money to do these sorts of events, or, or is that sort of something completely different? Is that another part of your activity, in, uh, in your organization?
1: No. What, what we saw was that. We, we used crowdfunding as the main mechanism, and we asked people to, to chip in with some funds. Then we also tried to, to engage with, uh, with different companies. Mm-hmm. But what we saw, as I said before, it's more like uh, crowdsourcing the talent because usually you need money to pay people yeah. salary, which is the highest cost. But when people want to volunteer and give their talent for free and because that gives happiness to their lives, the, the whole thing changes. That's and funny. you still need money. To cover logistical issues, and but to be honest, so far everything has worked out with more passion than money. That's um, and then the, we jumped into protecting surf breaks.
0: Yes, so, I'd love to talk about this. This is a really, really sort of. So has that got something to do with the ley de uh, de rompientes? Is that it? Is that the same thing?
1: yeah the in peru in in, in the year 2000 uh, the Peruvian parliament passed a law which was unique in in, in its yeah it, it was a unique law because it created a law to protect surf breaks you know? um and this happened because there were a couple of cases where two of the best surf breaks in peru had been damaged by infrastructure projects. Yeah. And the surfers at that time decided to create a, an, an organization to defend the waves and called Acoplo. The mm-hmm. And they were able to lobby and get that law passed. But that law was only going to be enforced if... Yeah, the, the law was only going to be enforced if the regulations were passed. Yes. So since two, the year 2000 until the year 2013... We were doing all the negotiations with the with the government mm-hmm. to get the regulations passed, and then finally we got the regulations passed in 2013. And from that moment, we had to start a new process, which it was not to negotiate uh, with the government, but to rally and 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 engage the whole surfing community to get the funds that we we required to show the government that there was a uh, that technically there was a wave. In that place
0: so you need to have all the engineer studies and the marine and coastal morphology and all those sorts of uh, documents to be f- supplied to, to, to justify that that the wave exists
1: exactly so we started a partnership with Patagonia mm-hmm. and with the National Surfing Federation and, and with the help of, of those two organizations we did this crowdfunding campaign where we we have already raised over $200,000 uh, and, and there's 33 surf breaks legally protected in Peru and now we're working with a safety waste coalition to try to replicate this model in in other countries starting with Chile and and then moving towards every place in earth where there's there are surfers and lawyers that want to be engaged with this No,
0: that is so um It's so uh, mind blowing because um, when you take surfing and this was one of the subjects that I addressed with um, one of my previous guests, um, Javier Leon. Um, and he was talking about the gentrification of surfing spots and the way they sort of kill themselves off. It's a kind of suicide because they build up and then they need to sort of cater for tourists, and then it's sort of a vicious cycle where the, the beach just erodes and disappears, and then the wave disappears, and then and that, and that's kind of what what what's happening in in a lot of uh, spots like in California or in uh, Bali, or Indonesia. And so it's so. Um, it's so avant-garde to have sort of 20 years ago to have thought about protecting surf breaks i saw your film *À alamar which talks all about that how the surfers um fought with and sometimes against the fishermen to to create the uh well to avoid creating these um the piers and 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 any construction on on that destroy the waves, and it was just really, really interesting. So, so now you've got 33 surf breaks that are protected. And so, what does that mean exactly?
1: Yeah. So, so right now the legal protection allow us to block any kind of infrastructure project that takes place in the area where we've shown that the wave exists. You no. Know? Uh, so a pier, uh, maybe um, an oil platform, uh, oil reaches that's something that we can block. Also, aquaculture concessions in the area. Uh, fisher, fish, uh, fishers, fishermen and fisherwomen can continue to, mm-hmm. to extract resources as long as it doesn't. It, they don't block the, 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 the surfing activity. Um, so both of them can work uh, side by side. And what we still need to, to protect is what happens in the coast. Ah, so, for okay. instance... In, in New Zealand, California, Australia, their mechanism to protect surf breaks have been based on, on, on the coastal management plans. Uh, New Zealand has a uh, coastal management plan approved where they protect over 15 surf breaks. Um, California has a very strong coastal commission, so these projects that could affect a surf rate are seen by this commission, and then they can also, like... Uh, decide that maybe it's not the best idea but in peru what we still need to to work on isn't how to especially for what you uh, said that javier has been mentioning and he's a good friend and and he helped us a lot with this project uh, and campaign Mm -hmm. is how do places like lobitos that if you're a surfer and you've come to peru maybe you've enjoyed those amazing waves uh, in the north of peru uh, how the town is, is actually developed so that you don't block sand dunes and sedimentation processes. And at the end, as you said, it's, it's going to just like finish the wave that made everyone go there in the first place. no? Mm-hmm. And we are already seeing a lot of, of, of what Javier is discussing in, in different surface in Peru. No? So mm-hmm. coastal planning, it's, it's an urgent and a priority for for surfers yeah.
0: definitely yeah absolutely well that's really really interesting is that do you, do, you, do you find that in peru um you're much more ahead of this uh, conservation uh, compared to your next door neighbor brazil um because what we sort of hear from the other side of the world is that brazil is sort of chopping down the amazon and um you know um putting dams everywhere and, 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 and making the, the tribal or the indigenous people sort of have to move away. Um, what, how do you explain that Peru has been so um, so focused on, on conservation compared to other countries.
1: Well I, I I think it will depend of the political circumstance and and there's a lot of projects in Peru where where actually like conservation is not being the priority. Uh, Maybe this is a very good case where we've shown uh very important leadership in terms of protecting surf breaks, and maybe that's something that Peru is leading and i do there's a lot of of engagement also with protecting the i mean biodiversity in peru and and we have a system of protected areas which protects over seventeen percent of the national territory and I could also like i i could stop on many positive things but also I could stop on the negative things and and, and, the, and, challenges. and, and the challenges and, and it will be the same for Brazil um, mm-hmm. right now I guess Brazil is going to have a more negative connotation because with their new president with bolsonaro uh, he's doing very big uh, drawbacks in the in the environmental policies that, that Brazil had actually put in force and, and mm-hmm. put in place um, Brazil had a very good uh, i mean it's it's a huge country uh, the, the amount of Forest is it's also huge, the, the, the diversity of indigenous peoples. So, but when you look at the numbers of how the deforestation had reduced in Brazil, it was quite astonishing how successful they were to reduce the rates of deforestation right. in Brazil. Um, so I actually think that Peru could do much better on stopping <laughs> the rates of deforestation. Um, but then when you go into the details, for instance, in, in Peru, 85% of the deforestation comes from small agriculture and 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 people that are creating pastures for for cattle grazing. Right. So it's not like it's not like in in Indonesia or Malaysia where you had these big palm, palm oil industries and but now you can through platforms like Global Forest Watch you can even like monitor how they are impacting negatively or positively their ecosystems their where they work. But in Peru it has to be more with people that are living on impoverished situations, lack of, of schools for their kids, hardly being able to survive with like what they can produce on in, in a monthly basis. And they're having to migrate to different places um, carrying out this activity. So it's a very complex uh, issue to tackle. No, uh, it's, it's, I think it's easier when there's a big company that It's easier that you have to talk to one specific person, that if you can make a good uh, story about it, you can get to their consumers, no? But it's it's much different if you want to make a story about how people that are already living in very hard conditions have to change the way they live in um, because they're destroying biodiversity but being able to to feed their families. Exactly, exactly.
0: This week, your meeting was postponed because you had a... Another meeting with the ministry. Um, can you? T- is that sort of part of your regular job? Do you have to visit the ministry often?
1: Yeah, we we, we carried out a lot of work with the with the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, this week, actually, had to meet the with the public ministry. Right, uh, they're in charge of actually enforcing all the laws in Peru and and. On the side of, of managing this, can, the, this program called Conservamos por Naturaleza, uh, I'm also Director of Marine Governance. So through that initiative here in, in the Peruvian Society for Environmental Law, we're working to promote sustainable fisheries, coastal uh, management, uh, marine conservation areas. And this specific uh, meeting was to create a collaboration with the public ministry so that when there's any kind of criminal act or infraction to the law's that is being taken place in the coast mm-hmm. we are strengthening the capacities and training the attorneys and the prosecutors of the of the public ministry to to know exactly what kind of activities are happening and 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 the technical things that will allow us the, to to have more enforcement of compliance of laws no? so sometimes we have to do a lot of communications work like you saw the Alamar video mm-hmm. and and, and the work of Conservamos for Naturaleza has also been more focused on creating community through innovative communication and, and inspiring people to, to change the way they're, they're living based on positive stories of people like us. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a conservation specialist to, 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 to be part of a conservation effort. And then we also work on this more, uh, try to change policies. So we have like the bottom-up approach. With uh, grassroots efforts, but at the same time we try to lobby for changes at the national policy.
0: Very, very interesting. So um, yeah, you really are really work both, are both um, spectrums. Yeah. So you're director of Conservamos por Naturaleza, director of marine governments, and you're also waterkeeper of the Marañón River. Do you think you could tell us what that entails?
1: Of course. So one of the most amazing rivers that you could uh, see in your whole life is in Peru, is the Marañón. Mm-hmm. It's the main tributary to the Amazon, to the Amazon River. Actually, when we were looking at the whole story, they say that the Amazon River was actually called the Marañón River. Really? But that, but that when the Spaniards came and they saw the, the woman that they called the Amazonas, no? And mm-hmm. then they changed the name of the Marañón to the Amazon River. <laughs> Um, but it's this, it's this beautiful river that if if you're able to explore it, you will see that it starts in the in the mountains, like uh, in the mountains of Waiwash, which is considered one of the most amazing places to trek in Peru, the the Waiwash, uh, Cordillera, mm-hmm. close to Huaraz, and from there you start to go down, and and the river gets into these beautiful canyons. Uh, it's massive amount of water and wow. And it's quite a, for, in some places it's very steep, and then it just goes all the way down to the lower Amazon, wow. going through different indigenous peoples' lands, and then eventually going to all the way to the Atlantic, and you know, um, before, uh, after joining the 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 Ucayali River and, and forming the Amazon River, uh, so it's one of the most important rivers of Peru, and it's a river where the one of our former presidents, uh, President Alan Garcia, uh, decided to to promote the development of, of, uh, of dams you know, to create energy based on, uh, for hydropower. Uh, and there were 20 projects planned to be, of dams to be built in the Marañón. Uh, at that stage, uh, I met actually an, an Australian kayaker that suddenly came to, uh, his name is Ben, and he came to the office and, and he told us that he, he went re- re- kaya- in his kayak, river rafting uh, this river. And that it had to be a real and this project had to be stopped. At that time, uh, these projects, the main projects were promoted by Odebrecht, which is this Brazilian company that has gone in the last years through a very heavy corruption scandal. Uh, But at that time, they were with all their strength. And I was really dubious that we could do something to stop those dams. So we started building this national campaign to try to engage more people in Peru and also have the Ministry for Environment and the Ministry for Tourism uh, involved in the discussion because at that point it was only being decided by the Ministry for Energy and Mining and they were not considering the the potential of this river for for other types of activities and more sustainable activities. Um, The good fortune that we had was that... um, well, Odebrecht went through this corruption scandal, okay. the, and that 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 Odebrecht was lobbying to have a specific uh, contract so that when they get all the the energy, they could sell it directly to the to the government. Mm-hmm. So once that contract or that bidding uh, was annulled, mm-hmm. yeah. then the other companies didn't have so much of an economic interest to to um, so with the Maranon waterkeeper what we did was um, joined a platform of water keepers that exist across the world this is the waterkeeper alliances and they have chapters where different leaders in different parts of the world. And they can also, you can also, if you're protecting a surf break, you can also uh, get in touch with the Waterkeeper Alliance and protect your bay. There are bay keepers, there are river keepers, wow. and they're also moving towards ocean keepers. No, so now we're, we're part of this community where we are uh, exchanging our ideas and, and efforts and strategies. You can train with soft skills on how to negotiate, how to look at, river, at at water pollution um, so it's a it's a great platform we're very happy to, to be part of it and, and until now six years have gone by there's still no dam and, and, and we're continuing to promote tourism and exploring the river uh, with kayaks rafts mm-hmm. and trying to leverage the voice of, of a river that should be kept intact
0: yes, no absolutely and so um, what do you like best about your job at the moment
1: Well, first, I I think like uh, my main job is using the knowledge that I have been able to to collect from how to use law, policy, communications and incidents to, to create specific campaigns that could be used for conservation. Yeah, basically my work is having meetings with people to conserve a specific place in the world, mm-hmm. no. So sometimes there are surf breaks, sometimes there are a, a beautiful patch of forest in the Amazon forest. Uh, it could be a, a a wetland in the coast. And what we do is use our legal knowledge to understand what you can do from the legal basics. Mm-hmm. But then we also have this uh, expertise on communications and and how to have incidents and lawy for a cause using the media and and. And the system, no itself, yeah. like how to work with the parliament, how to work with the ministries. Um, so that's basically the, the job. Um,
0: and so, what do you love best about your job?
1: The people that I met, like definitely, like in in these years, I've been able to meet outstanding people. That most of them are doing things because they they believe uh, it's because it's an ethical purpose because. Mm-hmm. And it's people that are are using a different path of living and, and they're showing that you can find happiness on different ways and you don't have to be in a rat race to to earn as much money as you need to as as many people are trying to get and and looking for an alternative way of, of living, yeah. no? Much more connected with nature, um where the focus is more on, on what kind of purpose you have in life, uh what kind of legacy you leave to people and and I, I do believe like uh, that happiness is really amplified when when you're sharing it with people and when and when you're working together for a specific cause. Absolutely. Uh, you no, know, so um, my my experience is completely true, and and I come happy to work. Um, I have the I have the I also like the good thing is that I'm constantly traveling across Peru. Mm-hmm. And so I get to see these places and get like uh, inspired by the by the same reason that I wasn't at the first time engaged to work on conservation. Yeah. Um, I can cycle I can cycle to work from <laughs> from my house. Uh, that makes a whole uh, big difference in Lima. Yeah. Uh, if you have to spend, there's people that spend three hours in the traffic, and I I don't see how you can live with that. No. And so being able to cycle to the office, uh, we have to see. Five minutes away from, from the house.
0: Yeah, that's what uh, I was that's going to that, ask.
1: Do you get to surf a lot? <laughs> to be completely honest, now I'm a father, uh, so this year <laughs> has been more difficult. I have a one year and one year and three months baby, oh, wow. so we have to take we have to take turns with with with, <laughs> uh, with my wife. So one of us is taking care of the baby. they are going <laughs> surfing. So it's, we surf less, but we still make time for surfing, and we definitely surf at least once a week. Uh, and does. if there's and if there's a good swell, then priorities are definitely changed. <laughs> uh, Lima has this amazing wave when there's a good swell called Lerradura, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically five minutes away from the, from the city. Wow. So if you wake up early, you can go surf Lerradura. You could go on even at lunch times after, during work, or you just take a, a day off. Um, and, and then I'm, one of my favorite places to surf in Lima is called Pico Alto, Mm-hmm. Pico Alto is our big wave spot here and okay. um, I call it for me it's like a it's my my time with my I, I I've never gone to a psychologist but for me Pico Alto is my psychologist <laughs> um, because you, you have to paddle like one kilometer to go outside into a sea um, you go only with a handful of friends uh, the surf starts to work there as as of 12 foot <gasps> Um, so, so there are waves of consequences, and and there's a every time it's, there's a stronger um, big wave uh, community in Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, there there has been some some courses with the big wave risk assessment group which are also making the group bond much more and and being much more aware of how to enjoy it and those moments of adrenaline but being able to come home then to our families and 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 take care of each other no uh, yeah, and be much more, so
0: that's fab- that's fabulous actually to be able to sort of take care of each other and, and to have a community to to join. So so does it get so it starts working at twelve foot and what's the biggest wave that you've surfed on it?
1: Maybe like a twenty footer or something in that realm, um, 18, 20 footer. Um, but usually I, I I enjoy it when it's like more like to twelve to fifteen foot and and yeah um, I I really love to and I I kind of lift. I do live for, for that and and I think in terms of like keeping you motivated, like mm-hmm. uh big big waves also like help you to to always keep in a very good physical condition, on a on a good mental condition. Um every time there's going to be a swell, you're constantly training. Lima has the also like there's waves that are just in front of the city for if you have never come to Lima, there's mm-hmm. a place called, called La Costa Verde, the green coast, mm-hmm. which is basically in the city. Right. We have this great wave called Herradura, but the air waves are perfect waves for beginners um, and, and just a, a very constant uh, very constant wave that you could surf every day. Uh, sometimes in a long word but at least like half a meter wave that you could always surf. It's nice. I think that one of the best things of, of Lima is that it's very constant. Uh, and consistency the of and,
0: and the consistency. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. So um um we're we're actually moving into the um uh, towards the, the end of the interview. Maybe you could just sort of tell me or tell the listeners what you felt when you caught your first wave. Do you remember?
1: Uh, I remember that everything was moving, uh, (laughs) that I had not much, not so much control of what was happening, but that I just felt really alive and Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it again and again and (laughs) and again. Um, And yeah, and in in Pico Alto is is a little bit different because that's the first, I, I think it's a different sport when you go into, into those ways, because then you can really see the whole sea moving and 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 i remember my first drop in in one of those waves and just like you, you're constantly dropping down and the wave continues to to get formed and you're in this huge like you you have never gone so fast in your life and you're like battling to stay in your foot so um
0: so, so do you have to have do you have to weigh down your surfboards to 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 serve pico alto because i um... I have a friend no, who's a big wave surfer who, you know, it's a twelve kilo surfboard, but um do you do <laughs> can can you do it do you need to, to get towed in or can you just paddle out?
1: No we we paddled. There's some right. people that tow in there but we paddle mm-hmm. and um and we don't have the offshores that uh you will see at Jaws or Puerto Escondido. Right. right. Or even Mavericks, no? So it's mm-hmm. Perú, the per- per- coast is like, especially in the central coast, it would be just glassy or some trade winds, but there's not this huge offshore that is like putting your board and making it fly. Right. Um, so the boards have already like, they weight a lot, but you don't have to put extra weight. Mm-hmm. You just have to put your, your own weight down <laughs> and, and, and commit to it.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> and so what kind of training do you do um, when when you're not surfing
1: yeah I, I try to run as much as I can um, cycle to work and every meeting that I have um, uh, and I, I would love to tell you that I train much more than I do but mm. I do keep a good physical condition but uh, push-ups and i and, and trying to to have the core always like working on the core because I think that's the most important for for surfing right. Um, and right now there's a there's a beast beast pool training that some some people in peru are doing mm-hmm. and, and i'm going to sign in for for the next course uh, and that's specially designed to 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 be able to be in good conditions on on heavy water situations wow. no so it's in the pool trying to to keep your breath and and while doing a lot of, a lot of uh, um of actions in the water No, huh. um yeah so
0: that's brilliant. So um, just we, we're about to sort of finish the, um, finish the whole the whole conversation, but um, I wondered if we could just sort of talk about the film Alamar, um that you mm-hmm. directed. Um, do you think you could tell us a bit more about it?
1: Sure, this, this film uh, had the main objective, has the main objective. Uh, it still has not been released uh, it's going to be released in this in this upcoming month, mm-hmm. and the main objective is that more people in the world uh, know that uh, in Peru there has been this initiative to protect surf breaks yeah. and that it can be done yes. so the first objective is to ask and invite people that have already enjoyed the the Peruvian surf breaks. To contribute to this campaign, mm-hmm. there are still over a hundred uh, surf breaks to be protected, and we have already shown that that it's a very effective mechanism to protect surf breaks. So, if different people in the world can donate 20, 25, 50, 100, or or a little bit more of money, mm-hmm. that would be used exclusively to for the protection of those surf breaks. Um, it's entirely used only to pay the specialists that do the technical files. Right. We Within our organizations, we have decided to subsidize and, and just uh, put our time for free from, for this cause. And on the second hand, the it's just to inspire people in other parts of the world to try to do the same. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do is creating a task force of lawyers and activists that want to protect earthquakes. Um, we're doing that in uh, with a partnership with the Safe the Waste Coalition. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that if there's a group of lawyers and people that are passionate to protect their safe breaks in different countries of the world, and some of them are already doing it, then we can work together and collaborate. And they can also ask us what kind of advice and, and feedback we can have in based, of in based, based on our experiences. That's so we're working in Chile. In Chile right now, uh, we're also uh, starting conversations with a surf rider in Argentina. Um, there's some people in Mexico that are working there also, um, and we already have organizations that are very very well-established, like Surfers Against Sewage mm. in the UK and and, and different chapters of, of surf riders uh, in Europe and in the US. So we, I think for us, the, the movie also allowed us to put us on the map uh, some, to be honest, like sometimes people that work in the Global South, uh, because of language barriers or just because uh, platforms like Surfline or things like that mm-hmm. are not used to, to putting up the stories uh, that happen in the Global South, um, you don't get so much visibility. Yeah. So I think this is something that people can get a lot of out of what we've done here and, and we're, we'll be more than happy to help.
0: That's fantastic. So I'll put in the show notes, a link to, um, to the trailer of Alamar. And also if you can, um, give me those, the website of where, where to contribute if anybody wants to, uh, donate or, or join in and contact you directly, we'll, we'll put them all in the show notes of the episode. Um, that's, Perfect. that's brilliant. So when, when is, when are you starting to show and where are you going to be showing the film?
1: So we have already started showing the filming private screenings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as, as of February, uh, we're going to have ready the website, which which is alamar.pe, like from Peru, okay. P-E, alamar.pe. And uh, everyone that wants to host a screening can do it. So I will invite you, if you want to do it in, in your own <laughs> town, please like do it. We will be happy to to, to give you all the information. And, and the idea is that we, we start... By asking people to show the film mm-hmm. and by screening the film, asking friends that could be uh, interested on on being part of this movement, so that they have a space where they can talk about the the film and 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 how are they protecting their surf in the in their space. So we want the film to be an excuse to to get people together for a specific cause. That's pretty. Uh, so
0: that's fantastic. So yes, well, um, so anybody who wants to show the film, they can just have. Sort of contact their local cinema or their local um public space and 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 just show the show the film and then we can discuss it and have a debate and that's really that's a really good idea and we can start protecting our own surf breaks elsewhere that's brilliant um we're just about to wrap up thank you ever so much bruno for being uh, such an amazing guest um i have a few last questions which are basically sentences to finish and sometimes there are some really good answers that come out so the first one is i love
1: i love yes i love life
0: <laughs> that's a good answer um i miss
1: the time i, I don't spend with my my little daughter
0: oh that's <laughs> so sweet
1: when when i when, when i'm at work
0: that's beautiful um i wish
1: I wish we could all protect all our surf breaks,
0: yeah here here, and I want
1: I want to continue to live life as fully as I feel I have done it until now
0: fantastic before we before we leave you um just could you just remind us how to get hold of you and any kind of uh go to places to start um helping you out in conservation or in all, all your other projects
1: yeah so the main platform to to reach me would be the conservamos por naturaleza platform and mm-hmm. uh, the website the website is conservamos.org okay my email is bruno monteferri my whole my 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 name at gmail.com mm-hmm. and for the specific campaigns uh, if you want to be involved with the, the campaign to protect surf bricks through the alamar.pe uh, website you will be able to reach us and and we also have a website called as portuola in spanish is do it for okay. your wave okay.
0: which
1: is aslaportuola.pe
0: okay fantastic so uh, how do you feel
1: yeah, good. Um, <laughs> lot, lot of information out yeah, there. <laughs>
0: yes. I mean, maybe we should sort of do <laughs> another one in a few months so that we could sort of update on, on all your projects because there are, there are so many of them and I don't think we actually managed to go through all of them. But I really kudos to you, to um, people like you that are really making a difference. And, um, and I hope that you, you can inspire the next generation as well and, and that we're going to be, you know, um, helping preserve our, our beautiful planet.
1: Things, things are already changing. I have no doubt that uh, the next generation has already changed. You, I can see it when I go to schools. And and I guess, like, right now, the, the main challenge is it has been how to cope with this, like, uh, what Timothy Morton called these, like, hyper objects, you know? But it's like clim- climate change and the biosphere. It's like it's difficult to relate with them because they're so big and, and the problems are daunting and overwhelming. But I think this is a time where local action uh connected by the media and the and social networks and, and this connection that we have is is what can make really like a, a difference so yeah. every action that you take at the local at the local level is is going to become much more and much more important um, and we have to see how to use technology in a positive way you know because you can also like actually play a very like negative uh, part in this in this whole process yeah so i'm I'm very happy. I think that what, the way you are using technology to try to connect people from different countries and, and that are related to the ocean through surfing, it's, it's a great way of showing the diversity of the community. And, and I'm very honored to, to be in this podcast now and...
0: Well, me too. I'm very honoured to speak to you and, and thank you for, for, for the time that you've spent um for this interview. And I wish you best of luck with all the, the new things coming out. And don't hesitate to come back to back on the podcast if you've got any news and we can um also if you've got any job offers because I um I use the Facebook group to um actually publish any volunteer offers or job offers that um that are surf related or that you could go surfing in your spare time so if you have anything going up just please feel free to contact me and and we can put that up on the board
1: perfect thank you so much again
0: okay well thank you bruno and have a great day see see you soon bye-bye
1: okay bye-bye
0: was a captivating conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly learned a lot. I don't know about you, but after this conversation, Peru is number one on my bucket list. To get in touch with Bruno, you can contact him via email and see what he's doing in his NGO Conservamos por Naturaleza. His other NGO, Hasla Portuolas, wwwh uh, H A Z L A P O R. T-U-O-L-A-S dot is the non-profit in charge of protecting the waves of Peru. And all donations go towards paying for the technical studies required to prove the existence of surf breaks. Without the proof that surf breaks exist, they cannot be enlisted as surf reserves. Anyway, all the details are in the show notes. The trailer for Alamar can be found in the show notes and on alamarp so check it out and see if you could contribute to protecting your own waves for your home spot. To all you listeners out there, thank you for listening. It's such a pleasure to make these podcasts and even more so to know that you're listening. The Ocean Riders Podcast is a weekly podcast and I would be thrilled if you could give it a few stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to share your story, you can connect with me at hello@theoceanriderspodcast.com. At or DM me on my Instagram account at The Ocean Riders Podcast. This episode can be played and replayed in most of the podcast apps, such as Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Deezer, and of course Apple Podcasts. You can also stream the episodes directly on your computer by connecting to www.theoceanriderspodcast.com. I've created a Facebook group so if you fancy joining in the conversation after the episode you're welcome to. Um, You'll find the Facebook group at the Ocean Riders Community. Uh, I've also started posting job offers that would be perfect for surfers so you never know maybe you'll find your dream job there. I'm also on Twitter and I've got a Facebook page. Um, The best way to sort of connect to all these different social medias is through my Linktree address which is www.linktr.ee so slash the ocean riders podcast all the links will be available in the show notes and on your podcasting app you'll also be able to find an article on medium.com with photos of bruno in action uh, so i definitely recommend you going and having a, a look there Thank you ever so much, Bruno, for being such an inspiring guest. And thank you for listening. See you next week, same time, same place. In the meantime, take care, have fun and enjoy the waves. Ciao.